You're listening to The Whole Testament, a podcast putting the Old and New Testaments back together. This week, we have a special episode with Michelle Reynolds, who recounts her recent experiences in Ukraine in the ongoing Summer Mortgage Board Series. If you have questions and want to continue the conversation, send us an email at thewholetestament at gmail.com or leave us a comment. We also depend on listeners like you to keep the conversation going, so take a moment and consider what it would look like to partner with us by visiting thewholetestament.com and clicking on the Donate tab. Camera number one, camera number two, camera number one, camera number two. I don't know. That's how we start it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you especially, guys are especially if you're listening on the audio, it's really ridiculous. Um, so, welcome to the whole testament. Uh, we're super excited to have our friend Michelle here with us, and um, we've asked her to come because she has a lot of. Um, stories or a life experience dealing with the war in Ukraine and um, a couple of trips. How many? Two? Two. Two trips to, and then one coming up, right? In October. October, yeah. So two trips to Poland to um, help the churches there and just help do stuff. So we'll we'll get into that. Um, Stephanie's here with us also, so you can say hi, Stephanie. Hi. Thank you. That was really good. <laughs> was that loud enough? It was good. Yeah. So, Stephanie's here with us also. So, why don't we just start off with, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, like, pre-Poland. Pre-Poland. Yes. That's actually a good question because I, there are times when I think of it as before, things before and things after uh-huh. had that kind of important effect, I think, on all of us that went, but I know for my, you know, speak for myself. So before I, I went, I was actually, um, it was interesting to learn about it. I was on the administrative team at our church uh-huh. as the treasurer. And when Wayne came back from his first trip, um, he so said- So Wayne I'm, was the senior pastor at the time? Yes. Okay. At the time, yes. And he and his wife, Leslie, were missionaries over there in the early 80s. Uh-huh. And so that's what prompted him to take a free will offering- uh-huh. Once the war broke out, the offering became what we thought would be, or what he thought would be thousands of dollars, and then it was tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh-huh. And he thought it wise to be able to be accountable to where all of the money went mm-hmm. and took a trip over there. And when he came home, he said, I think I need to go again. Everybody mm-hmm. agreed. And I remember thinking, I would love to go, but it's just, I would never ask. I just, uh-huh. but I remember thinking that. And uh, Leslie asked me to lunch one day. And so beware if she ever asks you out to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, before I even sat down, she said, "Um, so listen, God told me that you're supposed to go to Poland with Wayne and me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, he did. (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, it's probably not completely out of character, but how then that the next like six hours unraveled, I ended up with a plane ticket. To oh, go that yeah, night. Yeah, that fast. And if you know me, those that quick of a decision is not, you know, going was probably, people would say, 
that didn't surprise them. Mm-hmm. But making a decision that quickly was uh-huh. probably a surprise. Uh-huh. So I work in finance, and it's a I'm just in a unique place in life where I have the, the time and the means to, to do that, and it just it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, so before the invite, you're just kind of doing life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, working and family, and I'd recently moved into a new house and just bought, you and got fact, a new car, right? Yeah, I bought a or new car because I. I bought a car that was really fun and <laughs> really um, impractical. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I went to Ace Hardware one day looking for a box to put my hose in, and it wouldn't fit in the trunk of my car. And for whatever reason, it was that trigger that was like, find a new car, yeah. Michelle. <laughs> you, you can't even get a box. People have been hounding home. you, right? Oh, yeah. Before. Well, yeah, of course, because I was never the one that could drive or ask to drive or help or caravan anybody anywhere (laughs) so did that and you know just involved in you know volunteering and Uh um my spending time with family and my niece and you're super involved though in all sorts of things all sorts of things yep community not the community foundation the um park district foundation board and a couple of different places around town and Uh so and your job Uh, gives you opportunity to yeah, meet so a I lot own, of people. Yeah, so you meet you meet people and, you know, you work with high net worth people and you talk about money, make recommendations and, you know, have a certain amount of um, understanding around that and, and being able to do that with a level of confidence, which is kind of something that circles back to when I came home from the first trip, you know, when I was thinking, why did I go? Why uh-huh. was it me? So previous, prior to your trip, God's Mm -hmm. like already orchestrating things, right? To put you specifically into this position Mm -hmm. for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first trip you go on, um, you Mm -hmm. are just going as, I think, well, you said something about like not wanting to be a tourist, but kind of feeling. Yeah, I thought, I worried that we'd be a tourist to their misery, that we would just be Mm -hmm. seeing and observing and walking around in it. You know, you just worry that you you look like a tourist and you're uh-huh. just there to gawk at their misfortune. And it just was so different than that. It was almost startling. That was, you know, probably my biggest concern. And of course, you're nervous. You know, I hadn't been there. And I, you know, you don't, you know where the war is and where the fighting is really happening. And you know how far away that is from where you'll be. But there's something still... How far away is it? Nerve-wracking. It's, I mean, probably over a thousand miles. Oh, so it's a easily. long ways. It's a, a long, long ways, ways away from where you're at. But your, and, your and mind wh- doesn't think about, you know, you, mm-hmm. you worry about the nuclear facility, even though you know how far away it is. It's just different things, and, and so you, you're nervous about those, and it just was so different. So what is it? And, um, so you get off the plane... Mm-hmm. In where? Warsaw? In Warsaw, yeah. And then you are, where are you going? What are you doing there? Yeah, so the first, I think, four or five nights we were in Warsaw. So mm-hmm. essentially we were as a group of people from different churches around the country that are associated with Disciple Heritage Fellowship who had given money, had some representatives that came up on the trip as well. Mm-hmm. And so we started with visiting each of the locations that had already received funds from us. And essentially, every stop we made or every visit that we made, um, we were asking, you know, what have you been doing? What are you doing now? And what do you hope to do in the future? So you're there because you were here because we have more funds. We want to disperse uh-huh. those funds, you know, based on what you're able to do and accomplish and what your needs are. 
And then also what you're what you can estimate the future to look like. Uh-huh. And that changed, you know, pretty significantly, you know, even between the first and second trip and then also the second and third trip. So what were some of those answers to those questions? So where we had started giving money was for obviously for food um, and education. So there was an individual named Yasek who opened up eight different Ukrainian preschools. Hmm. And so the children were able to go to school. There, a lot of their parents, the mothers were teachers, so certified and were able to teach. They were able to employ them, so to give them income so that they could get on their feet, learn Polish as a second language and those sorts of things. So we provided anything from food for the children each day at the school to the, um, the furniture and equipment and, and school supplies that they needed. Um, we and did that in several different locations. You know, they have, and sometimes there are smaller venues, which are probably the nicer venues for refugees to be mm-hmm. at. Um, so some summer camps that had to be turned into year-round places to live. So we helped fund making them winterized, some mm-hmm. of the cabins and stuff for the people to live in or in the summer when they needed to still conduct camp. You know, the, they brought in those, you know, those moving pods the, mm-hmm. kind of the big uh-huh. white shipping containers and they stacked those up and made them small little homes kind of tiny homes for people wow. to live in so then those needed furnished so all of those kind of different things you know and they just change you know at first it's it's not just that you know it's million you know i think 13 million people flowed through um poland uh when the war broke out and so it, immediately sometimes families were just sending their children without their parents and they'd get there. They didn't even have a passport or any paperwork saying who they were, no IDs, nothing. So, I mean, at first I think Wayne, Wayne even bought just copiers to make copies of people's documents and to sign up for what they needed and, you know, all those different things. So as the needs changed, the giving was for, for those different things. So basically you're showing up, there's like Mm -hmm. all these refugees that have fled Ukraine into Poland and Mm -hmm. Poland and the churches and the people there are trying to figure out how are we to, how are we going to take care of all these people? Mm -hmm. And the people are just coming. Mm -hmm. No men really. Right. I remember the first trip. I think we only met two men. It's a very eerie feeling because you just, there's just only women everywhere. And why is that? Um, If you're age 18 to 65, you're not allowed to leave the country. You have to fight. So you have to stay in Ukraine and fight. You have to stay in Ukraine. And so families have to leave. Uh And a lot of the families that left, so the first place that we went to, and these children, they get up and they sing for you and they give you cards that they they know you're coming and they Mm -hmm. plan for all this. And then the the gentleman asks one of the ladies to try to share her story and she couldn't. And uh, they got up and left and... It was the rest of our team and just Yasek. And he said, every one of these people's husbands have passed away. They already know it. They've lost their spouse and their homes. And the kids don't know yet that you just met. They don't know their dads are dead. So that was the hard part about the trip is that you don't get to think too much about that each time. It's very impactful. But every story that you hear, it doesn't get easier and it doesn't numb you in any way Uh it and so you in order to kind of keep being able to listen and take in each person's story and what they've been through because they're all that difficult and some of them even horrific and 
So you just, you have to be able to set it aside each day because you know the next day you're going to meet a new group of individuals who want to share their story with you. And I think that was the, those were the moments where I realized that we weren't tourists, that our presence there mattered more than even the money that we brought Hmm. to share with them. Now they need that. They need the money. And they, I mean, they're still in, you know, day by day, need of mm-hmm. food, clothing, shelter. They don't know. The money from the government started, you know, to run out. Yeah, I can and and while they've been given a lot, there's just still a lot of need. And so you just realize that your presence there honors what they've been through and gives them the ability to share it and know that they, you know, that they feel known, that somebody's praying for them. Um, and it just gives you the opportunity just kind of to be present. I think about you coming home, like the first time, how it took you a long time and how you can talk about it without crying. So like, is that just processing everything you saw? I mean, you really haven't shared yet what you saw, you know, when you went in to, I mean, when I think of the videos Pastor Wayne shared of of just beds and, you know, with no room to walk between. Maybe, maybe explain what it looks like for in yeah. s- some of these facilities that are trying mm-hmm. to house these people. Mm-hmm. So it's been very important to the Polish people that they don't create Ukrainian ghettos. So when you think about the short history, you know, the short amount of time that's happened between World War II and, and everything that their people have gone through and then decades after of living under Russia's rule of their own country, they were able to very quickly set aside the differences and difficulties between the Ukrainians and themselves. Now they are their brothers mm-hmm. now. Um, but they, so they want to integrate them. Mm-hmm. It's very important that they be integrated and not um, quarantined or contained, you know, in large groups off to them themselves. But when you're bringing in 13 million people, not everybody's going to get to be in someone's home and in their spare bedroom, which is an amazing thing in and of itself that I never want to minimize that. Or some of these camps, summer camps mm-hmm. that you go to and there'd be a hundred or 200 people. They're known there, yeah. their names and their souls and they're cared for. And they would make birthday cakes for every person that went there. And they, I mean, it's different. And then you have these facilities where it's just tens of thousands of people living in cots that are closer together than we are. So like a, like a Walmart or, like a like a Costco. like a civic center of uh, of warehouse that doesn't even have lights. Hmm. That that was a. It, it's disturbing in and of itself when when that many people live together. All the things that you can think of that would make that difficult. You know, you see and experience and smell and hear. Um, some people brought their dogs, you know, and so you've got people curled up with their dogs, and they've got you know. It's a very, it's a pretty northern country. So when the, when winter comes, it gets dark at three o'clock in the afternoon, hmm. and, and then it's just dark. And there's no lights in the room. There's no lights. So they have to be basically to their space by dark. By dark, or they have to go outside, or they have to, you know, the the little kind of daycare areas were lit, and they had lighting in those areas, but it's just, it 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 doesn't help with integration. It didn't help with. Um, dealing with the stress and the PTSD of what people had gone through. Um, Because when we were there in September and the war broke out in February, you know, there were people who had not, um, 
done anything besides eat and use the restroom and sleep on those cots since they'd arrived. And so, you know, you're just dealing with such severe trauma in the wake of what they'd experienced and lost, you know, you can only imagine. Now mm-hmm. today, in some of those areas, it's, you know, hundreds of people, not thousands. So progress is being made and people are taking advantage of what they've been offered. But you can also empathize with those that are left that are just paralyzed by indecision. Hmm. They don't know what to do. They don't know where they should go. They don't know what decisions to make. Um, and they're dealing with the trauma of what they've been through. And, you know, a very small portion just want what's, you know, because it's free, you know, but that's a very small number of people. Hmm. But it just, it changes you because you don't ever have to experience anything like that. Or you'll walk through a warehouse where they've collected goods you know, in places where refugees can come and shop for free for clothes and toiletries and those kind of things, and you come across a box full of baby clothes. You know, or our friend Gosha was telling us the other day that um, that they had a woman who had two children and then came here and she was pregnant with twins and gave birth to twins while she was here. And it's all on her own, doesn't know anybody. So you're a new mom with four kids, no husband, you know, so it's just, it's trauma. It's watching and observing trauma. And it's not about you, but it's secondary now to you because you're experiencing through people face-to-face just like this. And so when you come home, yes, it is hard to imagine. It's hard to come home and live the way we live. And, you know, some of the things we talked about before coming home is that, you know, what you do is so important, you know, that, that, you need to, you know, it's going to be hard. You're not going to be able to sleep. You might not be able to eat. You have to, you're going to be angry. People aren't going to understand. And all of those things were true. And it's, you know, I think it just, for me, it just took a long time. And I guess that's just, it just sat that deep in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it did for many of the people that we went with too. You know, I know for sure the ones that I've kept in close enough touch, you know, that it was like that for them. But you have to, keep going. And then that goes back to the story of, you know, coming home. And it was like, why did, why did I go? Nobody else from our church went. And I guess if God told Leslie, that was good enough, but, (laughs) but you just, it, because of the way that it changes you and it's, you come home and I immediately felt like my hands were empty, you know, whether you were able to sit with somebody or hug somebody or, you know, serve a meal to somebody, pray with them, worship with them, you know, when you're home, that's all gone. Mm-hmm. And while they, they take goods, they will take goods if we sent them. Poland is a first world country. They don't need us to do a coat drive. They don't need us to send food. They can uh-huh. acquire it much less expensively themselves uh-huh. and get it there. Um, and, and then that was what kind of made me think, you know, money is what I do for a living, you know, and I can talk about money. I can talk to high net worth people about money, I you know, and I just thought, okay, well, if that's something I can do and people are willing, you know, and want to hear, you know, then then that's what I'll do. It's not what I want to do. I don't like to speak in front of a lot of people. It makes me nervous. But <laughs> it, it's different. Well, when, that's a good thing. It's just Stephanie and I. That's here, right. right. It's just <laughs> nobody you guys. else. Is just here. you guys. Nobody else. I promise. And nobody will listen to this, right? <laughs> but it just um, it. It's different when something is important to you or you really enjoy doing something and then feeling compelled. Mm-hmm. Like I felt there were times where I just felt like I didn't have a choice but mm-hmm. to speak about it or to say yes mm-hmm. to speak about it. 
did you going the first time? Would you ever have imagined there would be trip two? No, I didn't. I, I really, I, I'm not a stranger to a mission trip. You know, I went on mission trips when I was younger, but I thought, and I was impacted on those trips. But then you come home and you're like, man, that was great. Uh-huh. And then you move, you move, move kind on. of move on. Yeah, you know, and maybe it's kind of you're on a little bit of a high for a while on it, or you share and talk about it a lot for a while, and then and then you do, you move on, and it. You know, you'll think about it over the years and like, oh, yeah, that really made a difference to me or I hope we made a difference while uh-huh. we were there. Uh-huh. And because I remember we had a, a Zoom meeting with everybody who was going before we left. And one of the guys was like, so any chance we're going to get to go into Ukraine? And I was like, what is this guy thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and I and Wayne's like, no, man, no, we're not. It's like, I mean, you're an adult, but you so do whatever you want. But as a group, we're not going to go in Ukraine. Uh-huh. I called Wayne after, and I was like, we're not doing that. Right? I'm not going. I mean, I will stay by myself at a hotel, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> and darn it, if one of the first things they said about the second trip was, hey, we're going to get the chance to take a convoy of humanitarian aid into Ukraine, and I was like, yep, I'm in. I didn't even think about it. So what's the shift? I think the shift is understanding what being present with people does. And I just, I can't explain it. I have yet to figure out a way to really help people understand it. But if you've ever gone through something so difficult and the best help you received was somebody just sitting with you through it, you get it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's all I can say. Uh, you know, we went, we went into Ukraine, it was wild. And it's, it is, you know, being in Poland is like being here. Warsaw is a big city, like two and a half million people. It's just, it's first world, you know, mm-hmm. it's beautiful and it's clean and people own businesses and it's just everything here, but you just don't understand what they're saying. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and you go, you go there and the minute you cross the border, everything is different. And you can see it. And it's the difference between a country that's been free for 30 years and a country that hasn't. Mm-hmm. When I was at high school, I studied abroad in Russia. And it was like, it looked just like what I remembered being in Russia to be uh, like. Wow. You know, just things were not well taken care of, um, except for the giant gold Orthodox church spires. And... There, you know, the roads I mean, went from like being on a newly paved road to basically driving on 121, you know, how it is. <laughs> and, you know, it just, the, the giant hundreds of family flats, just one lined up after the other cinder block, gray hmm. Soviet block type uh-huh. um, existences. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like I went there like 30 not 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just like that there. And so we took the goods in. Um, border crossing was very interesting. And you get there and we unload half the stuff. Um, it, well, it's essentially like a UPS facility. And we unload the goods. We reload them onto pallets, wrap them, and they ship them to the front line. And then we, we went into Lviv. And again, I think part of the reason why I didn't think twice about it, it's only about an hour and a half over the border. Like it's, the city's never been in combat. I mean, the war front is, you know, uh-huh. 12 hours the other opposite direction. Um, and so 
so we get to the church with the rest of the goods. We unload it. We have a meal. Um, they were going to have two events at the church the next day that we packaged up the food into bags for families to take with them, basically in-country refugees. Uh-huh. So folks that were did leave, live on the eastern side of the country that now live on the western side. Uh-huh. And uh, we packaged all that up and went to the pastor's house to sleep and um, woke up at 5 a.m. to air sirens going off. And... I mean, I don't even remember being scared, but I remember thinking, holy cow, like this is what they're living with. And Leslie woke up and was like, what is that? And I'm like, "Sarah's siren's going off. She goes, well, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's fine. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's fine. But you're, we're awake now. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's three of us, Irina, Leslie, and myself in one room, three twin beds, and then there's a room just down the hall with Wayne and Ryan and Logan. Wayne didn't even wake up. <laughs> didn't even wake up with the first night. Logan comes over and is like, Wayne, Wayne, what is that? <laughs> so, so we just, the, the weird thing was, is that, so everybody's saying, what do we do? What do we do? I said, what do we do, Leslie? And she's like, I don't know. And she texts Wayne down the hall and he's like, Leslie, I don't know. And then we're living with a, fam- a you know, Ukrainian family, Not, nothing. You didn't hear anybody. Nobody moved. And you just feel like you should do something. You feel like you mm-hmm. should go to the basement or hide or congregate or something. And so the, they eventually stopped. And a couple hours later, the air raid sirens go off again, about 7 o'clock. And I just looked over at her and I said, they're not going off for no reason. And... You know, we, for a long time, we're on our phones trying to, you know, see if there's news or anything we can hear, and there, we weren't finding anything, and then we found uh, that they were being attacked by kamikaze drones, being bombed by kamikaze drones. You know, and what do you, it's that, that so uh, those awkward moments of the inappropriate laughing, because there's just literally nothing to do. Uh-huh. There's just nothing you can do. And so then, uh, you know, you're thinking, are we going to leave? Are we going to stay? You know, what are the people here thinking? Is anybody hurt? And we finally all get up and get ready. At about 8.30, they all come down and make breakfast, and it's just nobody's even talking about it. Because it's just business as usual for them? Or? I guess. And I said something the, to the pastor's wife. Her name was Irina as well. And I just said, so what does today look like now that that happened? And she's just like, honestly... It's just the way things are. She's like, we just, we'll go to church and we'll have the events and you just move about your day the same, the same way. Logan came back and did a little research and found out. So we were there in the 15th month of the war and the air raid sirens in Lviv have gone off 15,000 times and that city has never been in combat. So they have been bombed in some form or fashion or attacked in some form or fashion. 15. And so you just, when you go then that day and you go to the church and people speak and they worship and they're reaching out to these refugees to tell them about Jesus and they come up to you and they say, we can't believe you're here. Like you actually came. Hmm. And that's just all I can say about it. Uh Like it. We were giving them a bag of food. It was going to feed their family for a day or two. You know, 
we were so more sore than that. It should have fed them for longer because it was heavy. We did a lot of work to get that stuff <laughs> over there. But it just, that, that, that was not the main event. The main event is that whether they live or whether they die, that those churches want them to know Jesus. And so food is just a means to an end. Aid is just yeah. a means to an end. It's important, and they do need it. And we will still fundraise, and we will still ask for help. But that's why. That's why I, that's why I would go again. A difference between the first trip and the second is that the first trip you meet people and the second trip you have a relationship with people and that was really special hmm. because even while we were there the first time I remember thinking I will be back here and you might even have said I- I'm going to come back uh-huh. and they're like okay uh-huh. <laughs> you know yeah. we really do hope you do we'll see but yeah. we'll see Yeah, and it's not even distrust, but they know. I mean, it'd be like them having to come to the United States. It's not a, a small deal. Yeah. And and then you come back, and then you have a relationship with people. And to worship with people who need God so desperately is an experience I'll never forget. Mm. Because we don't have that. And it's not that... I don't, I don't come home and think our worship isn't good anymore and I, or that it's not heartfelt or that I don't get anything from it or that I don't give anything from it uh-huh. Uh-huh. to God in my praise. But when you're with people who need him for their next step or their next breath, it is different. Uh-huh. And it, it, it impacts you. We were at a Ukrainian church in Warsaw on the second trip. There was a young pastor in his 20s, just married a year. He'd been there for five years, started up this church. And it's done primary, worship is done primarily in Russian. Um, A lot of people from Belarus or from the far eastern part of the country, Uh you know, Russian is what they speak. And so we were in worship there before Wayne even got up to start his message for almost two hours. And I sat down and I mean, I can't understand a word of what they're saying. You know, at least with Polish, like when you see the words on the screen, you can start to kind of piece things together. Russian is, there's a lot more characters to their mm-hmm. alphabet and you you have no, you can't even begin to guess at, at what, what it is. And I mean, it could have been 15 minutes. I just, I had no idea. And I had no idea mm-hmm. what, it, could, it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so that was, again, to that 
part of like, what do you do there? Or do you really need to be there? Yeah, you do. So do you have any stories of hope? Like, Yeah, I think people are more resilient than you think they are or going to be. Um, you know, uh, so the large kind of um, warehouse facilities, they call them the Expo Center, um, like I said earlier, has have gone from tens of thousands of people to thousands of people, now down to hundreds of people. Um, so people are are integrating into the Polish community, and they're being accepted accepted into the Polish community. They're finding jobs and places to live, and those are hopeful things. Um, the fact that the the churches are are being consistent and diligent and you know, w continuing to work so hard with the communities and the and the refugees that they haven't stopped or grown weary of doing that mm -hmm. is a big is a big deal. I can imagine, like, just thinking, like, you're just doing church. You know, like we're just we're just doing church, and all of a sudden, none of the programs, none of that matter. It's it's yeah. none of it matters anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you just think of, you know, what the, what even what our church is planning in the next couple of years, you start thinking all that just gets set aside because all of a sudden you need to care for millions of people potentially. Yeah. You know, and it, cha yeah, it changes everything. It's like you become the church. Yeah. And see, and what a gift to the church. Yeah. That is, you know, not just to the people that they're serving, what a gift to be so clearly reminded of what you're supposed to be doing with yeah. your life. I mean, what a gift. Would we do it, though? I mean, if that were to happen here, would, would we welcome think, the same way? I think it might be the wrong question. I think it might be the wrong way to look at it. I think you're observing it and you're hearing about it happening, and you should decide in your mind and in your heart right now that, yes, it absolutely would. Because not every Polish person is helping. Yeah. You know, not every Polish person is happy that they're there. Mm -hmm. You know, and not everybody's glad that the resources of the government have poured into these other. Not everybody's happy about the 40% inflation well, that has occurred in Warsaw because they've accepted 2 million people to a city of 2.5 million people. Hmm. Yeah. That so was, certainly. That was the question I was going to ask earlier. It's like, how yeah, much? Yeah. It's, what's it's the ratio? It's huge. It's hard. So I think it's decide in your mind that you're willing to do whatever God asks you to do and just know that you're willing to do it. And I think then that'll, you'll never have to wonder. Hmm. It reminds me of another story because we were at the, the, the largest evangelical Christian church in, is in Warsaw, uh, or largest evangelical church in Poland is in Warsaw. And we went, to worship there several times. And the pastor there felt God telling him to start doing a service for Russians at their church like 10 years ago. So do the math on that. Like Russians, they don't like them. Russia oppressed them. Russia uh -huh. occupied their country. Uh -huh. And he's saying, hey church, we need to start ministering to Russians and being able to serve this community in their language. And they're all like, what? But he's like, this is what we're doing. God told me. <laughs> Isn't that wild? And then like 
eight years later, the war, this war, war breaks out. So his community is already softened to the heart of these people and the people in Eastern Ukraine. I mean, you know, Lviv used to be Poland. Mm. You know, so land, land grabbing from mm. World War II is a big part of the discomfort and ill will between Ukraine and Poland. Mm -hmm. And he was already smashing those borders eight years ago and nobody understood. I don't even think he understood why. No. He just said, like we just talked about, if God just tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, people just doing and living out their calling in preparation for something they had no idea would come. You know, it was the same, same way with the guy that opened all the preschools. You know, his job was just opening Christian schools around the country. Mm. So he had the means, he had the understanding, he had the processes, he had the people. And because he did it with excellence as a Christian, look what he was able to do to yeah. help. You know, there's another guy, his name Martyush, and he had um, his company, his business that he owns, creates um, curriculums to teach people other languages. And so he was put in charge by the government to facilitate all of the classes for Ukrainians to learn Polish so that they can get jobs. He's just doing what he was doing. Mm. Throw your stone. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> you may need to explain that. Oh, when we were in Israel, that was one of my favorite teachings from our, from our trip was, what did David do? I probably already said this on the podcast. It doesn't matter. What did David do? David did what he did every day. He threw his stones to, to ward off any predators to keep them away from his his sheep. And how did how did he slay Goliath? By throwing his stone. Doing what you do every day. But listen, like I, I think it's interesting. It just made me think. Um, today I sent Dave a message on my way home from church because Pastor Wayne came in. He was, he just, we met uh, your friends from yeah. Poland and then we chit-chatted because he's getting ready to preach and said something about the Shema. He's going to use that text. And, and he asked, you know, what word should I, if we're, if I'm going to teach a Hebrew word out of the Shema, what should, what sh which one do you think would be? like a good word. And in my head, it was immediately Shema. It's Shema. So hang on. We, some people may not know what you're saying. Okay. What is Shema? Shema? Shema. What so do you mean? So there's a, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, Oh, the passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so they speak that. Yeah. Israel speaks it. So in Hebrew, it's Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. So it's a blessing you say in the morning and at night. But the word here, hero Israel, shema. is Shema. And it it means hear and do. All that to say. Hear and do, not just When hear. you say, the pastor 10 years ago said, thinks we need to do this and it doesn't make sense to anyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, are we hearing and doing? Because a lot of us like to rationalize. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Oh, I like it. So for anybody to speak to people that are listening, right? They've mm -hmm. eavesdropped in on our conversation. Mm -hmm. And now what would you say to the random people 
there's like 33 states, and I'm pretty sure somebody in Germany is listening because it's this, every episode there's a Germany. Maybe it's a bot, but I don't know. I, fl- I flew through Germany on my last trip, so that's good. I would say that there are, I will start by saying that there are three ways that you can help. You know, first is praying because these are real people. It's just look at the person next to you and and think they lost their home, they lost their spouse, they lost everything they own that it's in a backpack and they have to move to a country where they don't know the language. You know, pray for these people. Yeah. They have they have big decisions to be made in their lives. What do they do? Where do they go in the future? And every decision matters because it impacts Poland if they stay, it impacts Ukraine if they don't come back. Um, if you can give, give. You know, they they still, again, are in need. You know, they are days away. A lot of people are still days away from not having food, hmm. shelter, and clothing. Um, and, and and finally, it's just to, to do something and to be, you know, be serving and be, again, like you were saying, like the hear and do. Mm-hmm. You know, do whatever you do as well as you possibly can because... God will use you and you never know what impact, you know, it was super helpful that this guy has a company that teaches people other languages. I'm sure that actually did impact people in some way, Mm -hmm. but now it's impacting millions of people. Yeah. You know, and 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 you're, you're just doing finance and yeah, you're just going about your life, trying to do what you do and, and help where you can help. And, and then God opens a door. Yeah. And, you know, would that door have been opened if, you weren't listening to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. If your relationship with God wasn't you strong to where you were open yeah. to, you know, yeah. I had a vacation booked that first trip. And <laughs> I, for the, literally the same dates that they were going on this trip and I paid for it already. And I said to Leslie, you know, so the beginning of the conversation was, I can't, like, I can't do both, you know, and I've already uh-huh. paid for this. And she said, don't say no. So I go back to work and I say to, to my, yeah, yeah. And I go back to work and I say to my business partner, you won't believe the lunch I just had. And I'm laughing. And I said, Leslie just told me I should go to Poland with Wayne and her for two weeks. And he's like, I will be mad at you if you don't go. Aww. And I was like, wait a minute. What? It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? Not the right answer. <laughs> one, I was going to put up enough barriers, you know, to see which one held. So I go home and the next barrier is, can I get this money back for this trip that I paid for? And it's all fully refundable. (laughs) And I thought, okay, like, okay. Just like anybody, you know, everybody has a story like this, you know, where it's just like, okay, God, fine. And so I hit (laughs) refund and I call Leslie and I said, all right, tell me what plane, what flight to book. Oh my gosh. on the phone and he's like, are you really doing this? (laughs) I said, well, I guess I am. And I mean, it was just from lunch to about seven o'clock in the evening, you know? And so I just, I feel very passionate about the fact that like, if you, if you are, sometimes it's just right where you're planted. I think it's really important. I really wish more people had the opportunity to serve in a mission capacity in another country, but where you are and what you're doing may open that door now, but certainly... There are people, you know, much to my neighbor's point about why on earth I would, you know, go to Poland to help those people and not help people who are here. We need to help people who are here, 
you know, mm-hmm. in your day-to-day life is helping people here. Yep. You know, I think, I think my mom has a fear that I'm going to pack up and move over there and never come back. But I, God has not, you know, God has not released me from what he has for me here. But I, I know that he's saying, Michelle, you're supposed to be a missionary. And right now, that's just right here. Yeah. Like, you can't just live, you know, living your life and being an example is one thing. But now, I'm calling you to more. And I don't know what all that looks mm-hmm. like yet. But I think but saying I yes is a habit that you... And it is. And, and, and being, you know, growing in that area, that's an area he's growing me in. Uh-huh. And however he wants to use that now and however he wants to use that in the future, I am compelled to say yes. And just imagine if you would have went on that vacation. Yeah. What we miss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Max. So um, I will pray, but before I do that, how do people, if they want to help, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. If they want to give money or... Mm-hmm. You can go to firstdecatur.org slash give. Uh-huh. There's a drop down that says Ukraine. Okay. So if you don't choose that drop down, you will be generously donating to the general fund of First Christian Church <laughs> Decatur, <laughs> which is great. And as the treasurer, I would appreciate that very much. But choose Ukraine, and that'll make sure that. And those then all that goes. So every dollar that we give does go there. Uh-huh. We don't have overhead, so uh-huh. even you know, we we pay our own way to go on the trip. So literally uh-huh. every dollar goes to helping refugees. Um, but you will get a tax document for that. It's uh, we're five hundred one c three. All right, and we'll put a link on the YouTube description, and I'll try to get something up on our website. If you don't remember that uh, address, we'll we'll give you some links so you can get to that. And even a little bit helps. You know, it costs like four dollars and twenty five cents to feed a child at one of the preschool centers every day. So every little bit does help. Mm. All right, well, I'll pray. I'm going to pray for you and for Ukraine, Poland. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the stories that uh, you are allowing us to tell here and for the willingness of people like Michelle to uh, cancel vacation (laughs) and go to uh, war-torn countries. And um, I just pray, God, that you would just continue Mm -hmm. to use her and continue to bless her. Um, We thank you for putting her in the position that you did to allow her to be able to do this. And I just pray, God, that um, your spirit and your presence and your blessing would just continue to overwhelm her and that you would just just keep opening the doors for her to to be able to move into this missionary calling of whatever that looks like in her life. And we thank you for her willingness to come and sit here and... Um, be on camera, which nobody likes to do, um, and just uh, just pray, God, that her willingness would move us. So as the rest of us sit here and hear the story, I pray, God, that we would hear your spirit and you're calling us into something bigger than just our everyday life. And I pray, God, that if there are people out there who you are very specifically calling into something, that they would be encouraged Um, after listening to step into the exciting and dangerous world of following you. 
We pray, God, that you would be with the church in Poland and Ukraine as they try to um, be what it means to be the church with just basic needs and necessities and sharing the truth about who you are. And I just pray uh, that it would bring revival and that um, lives would be saved from more than just war. And I pray that you would help us not listen and forget, but to find some way to be involved. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thanks. It was was really good. Thanks for listening to The Whole Testament. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, so share the show with your friends and family. And be sure to leave a rating and review. You can also find us on all the socials by searching at The Whole Testament. All of our episodes are available at our website, and you can listen to them by heading over to thewholetestament.com. The Whole Testament is supported by people like you. To help us continue the conversation, head to thewholetestament.com and click on the Donate tab. We'll see you next time.